hexad types are <clears throat> separate specialized aspects of three, six, and nine. You might explain this hexagram triangle uh, or the hexad types as forming the contraflow types mm -hmm. um, in the Enneagram. And so you can see like like uh, the root of all problems is the, the hexad thing. <laughs> right, and that's why it forms an upside down triangle Yeah, down. The big hormone Enneagram. I'm John Lukovic, uh, the sexual self pres 45 link, 458 trifix. Hi, I'm David Gray, self pres sexual 9 with 1974 trifix. What up, it's Emika, I'm the 8 wing 7, sexual self pres with 854 fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy, I am a self pres social 3 wing 4 with a 369 trifix. If you like our podcast, guys, make sure you go like and subscribe on the Apple Podcast app. And if you really like us, you should definitely leave us a review. I used to do a phone voice for a couple men. <laughs> it would pay for it. It's great. You used to do a phone voice for what? For men. men. Oh, they paid you to they do phone voice? They wanted to hear like my receptionist voice talk to them. Oh, yep. Wow, interesting. <laughs> A corporate nice receptionist. Have, be nice yeah. to have a vagina do so, do stuff like that. Oh my gosh, it's so easy. <laughs> Only gay like dudes you want. give a fuck about men, and they're like, "Oh my god, yeah, she likes me." <laughs> wow, me. I think she really yeah. likes me. <laughs> you love me like my mother did. There's a guy who's uh, there's an there's an eight who's blowing up on social media these days, and he used to run like a cam girl. He used to run like a cam girl business, and he said that I I wasn't running a cam girl business; I was running a therapy business. Like there's so many sad Damn. men out there yep. who just want some attractive woman to remember their name. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's like, she remember my name. I can't get a blowjob for my wife. Like she got, she cares about me. Oh my God. Wow. It's sad. Uh, it's a hundred percent accurate. I believe it though. Yeah. I totally believe it. One of my <clears throat> roommates one time was a guy and he was like, Nancy, I'm so afraid I'm going to end up like one of the guys that pays you. What if I end up like that sad and alone <laughs> in my life? <laughs> Oh he was like so worried about that. It was really funny. <laughs> and that it happened. I'm just grateful like, oh, Alexander remembers my name. Pretending. Yeah. Just barely. She yeah. just uh, <laughs> every once in a while remembers. Uh, it. John? <laughs> Honey. <laughs> Baby cakes. <laughs> Weedums. People right. liked our fucking uh Oh yeah. People are just coming all over themselves for that episode. It was great. Yeah. People are what? Uh, people are coming all over themselves for the Wings episode. <laughs> oh, good. You wanted me to say it again. That's why you said what? Yeah. You, no, you that's, to, not, that's, that's really she, not what I wanted She to wanted you to do the voice, you know, the that voice. she pays you <laughs> for. <laughs> I pay a lot of money for that, so. <laughs> yeah, so, you yeah. guys, the gentlemen on here could make a lot of money doing that, too. Doing that work. is true. Get your your yeah. smooth operator voice and just like read poems or something. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's yes, a guy yes. on TikTok I followed that literally just reads poems. He doesn't show his face or anything, and he has like millions Perfect. of followers. Millions. I might have a career <laughs> in that. Yeah. Reading disturbing poems for nine. I feel like everything I say <laughs> is poetry anyway. So that's, right. that's why people yeah, listen to this podcast. So you have a. <laughs> He's a bit narcissistic. Absolutely. <laughs> John's actually the best at being humble. I'm the best. The most humble of the bunch. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Big Hormone Enneagram, the most incredible podcast. The best. And the exists. most humble. We have some plugs, of course. Uh, we got Buy My Book, Please, and I'm doing a uh, study group focusing right now on my book. Maybe it'll go into other books, but it's actually pretty good. We meet on sunday via zoom i record them i'm trying to figure out how to do it more efficiently and stuff but it's 15 dollars donation per class um and then uh both david and emica have been on our friend josh levine's new podcast what it's like to be me that's what it's called what it's like to, to be, be you. you but it's like to be you <laughs> and... what it's like to be me <laughs> <laughs> 
learn what more like about John Josh Levine. Levine. What it's like to be John. And yeah. David and Emika were both interviewing about what it's like to be John. Um, so yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It. Josh is a great interviewer. He's a heart streaming three. Mm-hmm. And um, I have not listened to y'all yet, but when he interviewed me, I was really like moved by it. So I don't know what was y'all's experience. It was great. It was. Uh, no. I remember the experience. I think I mentioned on the Tinder Swindler episode talking about threeness and how they're able to create an emotional landscape. And I felt, I remember feeling that after that uh, interview with Josh, because uh, I felt like I was seeing myself through his eyes or through his kind of ability to contextualize me. And, you know, it was kind of like getting a hit of social in a very clear, direct um, way. And it felt really good. And, and so just like, it, I think we connected that to how like threes can, sweep you up in sort of in this sort of like an emotional landscape where you get to see your ideal self in a sort of way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's really, he's a really good, uh, he's a really good, he's good at asking questions that pull things out that, that yeah. are relatable stuff like that. Yeah. My experience was interesting to just, uh, a three trying to peg a nine into a certain location kind of thing. You know, and and asking Christ. about pegging <laughs> and asking about you know stuff around identity Butthole. and things like that that are really <laughs> asking about bubble stuff. Yeah, I don't think he even heard what he said. Did you even hear what you said, David? No, I'm just. Kidding. All right. Well, we'll just let it. Can you just yeah. let, it, let him go. Is it something about pegging? Yeah, and buttholes. Yes. Yeah. But what you're yeah. saying, David. <laughs> Sorry. Retro <laughs> laugh attack here. Um, <laughs> that's all I had. I just, I've listened to it twice. <laughs> uh, we, I, can't, we can't peg him like Josh does. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Um, you guys are lacking. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, no, it was good. I've listened to it a couple of times to try to remember myself and it's been helpful. <laughs> <laughs> My existence. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, he hasn't posted mine yet, but I got emotional, uh, actually, because it was mm-hmm. just like, I'm a hard type being seen. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Josh is great. And I, I'm really looking forward to, like, how that's going to develop that, that podcast or series or whatever it's going to end up being. So yeah, it's, a, but, it's like a, a full on podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. It's an interview series type of yeah. podcast. Like in the OPS side of things, there's a dude who, interviews people who get typed who gets typed by dave and shan and he's got like it seems like hundreds of interviews and so if when i was trying to learn ops it was a great resource like if you wanted to see a type there was an interview that he had done with like maybe eight different examples of that type and so um there he he is looking to interview more people so if you've been typed by enneagrammer as in if you have a typing that's accurate that you agree with um, hit up Josh and uh, he can do an interview on you and it'll be great. Yeah. And then uh, buy David's Trifix booklet uh, on anygrammar.com or anysite.com. And like I always say, it doesn't just t- teach you about Trifix, it's like it teaches you about stems. And I think you can like compare different stems and isolate them and get a feel for type from an aesthetic, imaginal point of view, not just a descriptive point of view, so you can get a feel for it uh, that hits a different sensor than just cognitively. And then is there anything else? DAA, Dark Arts Academy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go for we, it. We uh, typed RuPaul recently. That was really entertaining, interesting typing. <laughs> um, I didn't really know very much about RuPaul, but, but he is like a super prolific, has like a super successful show. And it's kind of, when you look at the full typing, it, it's like for a self press. Well, I don't want to give it too much away, but self press blind really <laughs> getting uh, some productive output like that's pretty uh, impressive. And then we typed Darren Brown, which um, some people are pretty familiar with him, but he's a really interest. That was a really interesting mm-hmm. um, episode because he's sure. taking psychology and turning into entertainment, um, sort of like the ways that uh, people are not aware that they are being manipulated and influenced by the media and, and politics and religion and all these ways that psychological frameworks are being used to shift people's, you know, pe- shift mm. people's mental space and all that stuff. So, yeah. That and was uh, speaking of 
Dark Hearts. I'm uh, seeing King, Alexander and I are seeing King Woman on Friday. In oh, nice concert! Yeah, cool. I'm excited. Fucking love her. Yeah, y'all's episode on her was great. Yeah, she's a mm. performer. Yeah. People say yeah. stuff about Nines being like you know wallflowers. Like she has a big presence about her for um, sure yeah. on stage, for sure. <laughs> and so it was really good. Yeah, her show's amazing, and uh, like you know, her I find her like her music just to be so profound like again it just goes against the um, trivializing stereotypes of nine out there you know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. her shit just i don't know really speaks to me so, i also anyway. like that in the interviews you guys or in the interview yeah in the interviews you guys chose for the episode she's kind of <laughs> like just being like a secret nine of like yeah i don't know you know yeah 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 like, right still just like hiding all her power like everybody thinks that she everyone thought she had a four fix and everyone thought she you know this and that, mm-hmm. and still in mm-hmm. interviews when people are trying to pull out her like profound wisdom, she's like, mm, I don't know, it's all about. It's just it just came to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just happened. <laughs> yeah, for listeners <laughs> on the fence about dark arts, like that's one of the great things about dark arts is that you sometimes you you get typings you wouldn't expect, and then you see it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And... Sue Sue so Johansson was another one that was really fun to watch. I finished that one like the other day and that one was was great. I imagine everybody sees her as like, you know, an assertive type or like a seven or something like that. So to mm-hmm. see her exactly. real typing come out was like a cool flavor. I don't want to yeah. give it away, but it was a cool yeah. flavor of that type. <clears throat> yeah. And it sort of like shows people that this the we come in with our own preconceived ideas of what a type might be, but like we're discovering this stuff in real time. Work it out. And yeah, yeah, we just sort of work it out and it's like, okay, that doesn't fit. Um, and so that's part of what it keeps it interesting for us. It's not like we prepare the class and we already know. Um, it's part of like we are doing a live typing and people are getting to look into that process of what it takes to actually see a type crystallize and, and double check it and make sure it's right and all that kind of stuff. Yep. All right. So last time we talked about wings and um, more in like a abstract <clears throat> space than going through them. But one of the things we uh, touched on was, you know, first, I think it stemmed from recognizing that the attachment types 9, 3, and 6 are all, you know, they're like, they're the primordial triad of the Enneagram and, uh, you know, represents, in a sense, like the active, negative, and reconciling force. Mm-hmm. And in David's scheme, they represent uh, 3, the individual, and then what was six was it's like the divided split mind yeah the mind kind of divided against itself mm-hmm. and sort of the universal problem of everyone being consumed in their mind and also mind. was it's sort of like the the kind of parallel of individual and collective uh identity right like would mm-hmm. you say there's that and then there's also that six represents superego right mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's that uh good bad you know black white right wrong stuff yeah and it's it's to me that's like three is individual and then six with the superego is like the individual within a system or something mm-hmm. there you go that's and good like which perspective do i take in any circumstance am i the mm-hmm. acting as my individual self or as my identity within a larger embedded thing and then Nine is everything. <laughs> <laughs> the universe. The all and the nothing. Three threes. The beginning and the end. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, going back to six, you could say like six is caught between nine and three. Like nine, mm-hmm. in some mm-hmm. sense, represents the whole collective, and three represents me as an individual. So, which one do I do? Which mm-hmm. one do I go towards? Right. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, there's sort of there's sort of the uh, primordial trinity. But then, one of the things we were talking about was the contrast between these attachment types with uh, hexad types, and the you know what an attachment wing does to a hexad type, or what a or what happens when a hexad type has a hexad wing, and, and mm-hmm. these kind of things. And it, it, what emerged was this idea that potentially there's a kind of a an antithesis trinity or a negative trinity that is, uh, in a sense, represented by the combination of two hexad types. So yes. in this, the, I think I was kind of spitballing it with um, one and two is kind of this 
idealism or trans transcendence or uh divine realm mm-hmm. and then uh between four and five like what four and five are offshoots of is separation or emptiness or the void or um uh pushing away from the all in some sense and you know it's the counter there to uh to nine mm-hmm and you know, an encounter of of that one two space is six. The, yeah, well, the six that we talked about with the super ego and the divided self. Right. The one and two are in a sense not divided. Right. Even I, though they're also super ego, mm-hmm. there's this counter thing going on. And then uh, for the assertive type eight seven place, uh, there's kind of that one. I, I'm a little vaguer on, but it's sort of like. Um, a, a, a forcing agenda, right? Like, mm-hmm. like in the sense of the primordial trinity of three, nine, and six, there's there is some kind of participation, and then of these, this this anti-trinity, so to speak, they're all sort of a a separation or a breaking off, and so there's a kind of um, uh, uh, independent will or independent movement. If, mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. One one thing I'll say though. Is anyone listening to this episode? You should pull up an enneagram symbol. Oh yeah. While we're doing this, because uh, or even just get an every enneagram symbol and uh, draw this this triangle, so you can sort of visualize that this triangle that we're talking about. When you draw, when you get the point between seven and eight, and the point between one and two, and the point between five and four, and draw a triangle, it's a, a upside down inversion of the three six nine triangle, and for those people who are fans of Stranger Things, you could sort of look at this hexagram or hexa, hexat triangle as almost like um, a upside down, mm-hmm. an upside mm-hmm. down of the three, six, nine yes, triangle. Exactly. And so what da- we're going to get into with David's stuff, uh, he's got something called reflections and how, you know, three, six, and nine is reflected in these hexat triangles that we're talking about. And it gets really interesting. Um, but yeah, it, it sort of reflects like if if this triangle of the hexatypes are born from the core, like the universe is born is driven by three six nine. That's the thing that everything comes from. And attachment, everyone is an attachment type, but there's this attachment to frustration, attachment to rejection that represents this counterforce or individuated counterforce to the the base attachment that the universe of um, the Enneagram is, is everything's born from that attachment, but this frustration and rejection rep- represents this, uh, the upside down mm-hmm. of attachment. Mm-hmm. So David, I could get into the, yeah. you want to get started with okay, your reflections. Okay, so, um, yeah, so this idea is, again, called the reflections, and that comes initially from my schema that I call the sundial, which I've talked about before, which is... <clears throat> just the idea that uh, the line between six and three, can, you can imagine it as the horizon line of Earth, right? And so at point three is on the right, and so that's the east. So point three is the sunrise in the east, going counterclockwise on the symbol. Uh, nine is then... Uh, the sun at high noon, and six is the sun at sunset. And that puts four and five in the underworld in the dark, right? Um, And so if there's, you know, this sun rotation motif, then it occurred to me that there'd be reflections and of the sun. So one thing this gets at is that the hexad types are separate specialized aspects of three six and nine and so in in other words for example type three reflects you know at dawn upward towards points seven and eight and so seven is one portion of three or one particular specialized aspect of three and eight is a is similar right so 
Seven is the hope, glory, shine, optimism side of three. You know, the aspect of three that's uh, a planner, right? Kind of like seven. Right. Inspirational. Right. And a goal setter like seven is a planner, right? Mm. The I can do it. I can do what I set my mind to. Seven is the mental center, right? And then the eight part of three is the pragmatism uh, and straightforwardness of three, the strength and activation drive of three. It's the three powering through, persevering, expressing willpower, right? Mm-hmm. So seven and eight are then, you know, specific aspects of three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so looking at going to six and doing the reflection towards one and two, one is the superego part of six, the, the black and white, you know, compulsion towards higher principles that benefit the collective. And then two is six's deep involvement with people, right? Um, if like, if two is wanting to be loved, six is a half to wanting to be liked. I mean, that's one way to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so you've got the superego piece and the higher collective and the people orientation of six, and that's what makes up six. Um, and then another riff on that one is that in the archetypal movement from one into two, that's one splitting into two. And that's sort of part of what the issue is with six is that splitting splitting in 50, 50. So that's the archetypal jump from one oneness to two-ness and then diametric opposition inside of six. So then going to nine, reflecting down towards five and four, five is the part of nine that is the self as an abstraction or a non-presence, a disconnection or a closed off quality, right? The part of nine that's retracting away from existence or presence, amputating themselves from others, right? Mm-hmm. And then four is like the symbols and beauty aspect of nine, right? To the degree that, you know, you can rightfully associate four with art and artists and so forth. Um, or like a singular, is, a singular symbol that right. represents like a core thing, distinct me. Right, right. So that gets at like kind of uh, pinging off of John's stuff around four and envy. Um, like one way to frame up envy and the four's ideal inner self-image is that they're, that they're holding internally as a kind of like a self-symbol or a self-fetish. And one way to conceive of all that is as a kind of like archetype making function or a symbol mm, making, yeah, yeah. which mm. relates to nine's association with archetypes, such as we see with nines like Carl Jung and Joseph Campbell and all the stuff that they did around fairy tales and myths, um, which are highly concentrated, potent images that represent certain forces. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, Anyway, that's the, the basic idea right there of the reflections. Very cool. Super cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And so, yeah, like I was just thinking about that upside down, down triangle. Uh, and, you know, of course, we talk about hexad versus attachment. And it's cool to think about how the hexad types are born from the attachment types because everyone's the attachment type attaching to frustration or rejection right but you know like the analogy with the upside down it's like it's the same world but there is where all you get the you get the monsters and the demons and stuff that's where all all the you know the it's a very specific maybe to attachment like really oppositional way of attaching to things 
And and so that sort of thing that we talk about, the the sort of friction between hexad and attachment is uh even though it's attachment to frustration or rejection, it is still very, very like oppositional to to the core three six nine. Yeah, so so it's uh it's a paradox. And that's a big part, I think, of what's in the Enneagram, but in this particular case around this idea, it turns out that this one, two, four, five, seven, eight space is actually made from attachment, right? Mm -hmm. This hyper individual, mm -hmm. these hyper individuated spaces in the Enneagram are components of or made from the elements of attachment. Disgusting. Right. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> so I've been. Sorry. I just said we're winning. We've always been winning. <laughs> They're in everything. The, the dominant force. We forces. just don't have to tell you because we know already. <laughs> <laughs> the arrogance of nine. Yeah. The um, humility of nine. Yeah, yes. exactly. Mm -hmm. The uh, Yeah, so I was thinking like if the 936 is the everything, the individual and collective for six, uh, then, you know, it's sort of like this counter triad I would give it the terms like um, assertion, separation, and transcendence, which are all like going away from or somehow getting out of sync with that primordial trinity, mm -hmm. the attachment trinity. Okay. And I've been reading, um, I've been reading, you know, Hegel and shit. And so I've got this kind of, I don't know, this vibe in my brain right now. But it's it's kind of like. Um, it's kind of like the like the negative force or like a Lucifer principle or something mm -hmm. like that because mm -hmm. it's like it's a willfulness that's out of sync with like the cosmic flow. You yes. Know? Yeah. And so you could see like like uh, the root of all problems is the <laughs> the hex <hexet thing. laughs> upside right, and that's why it forms an upside down triangle going yeah. down <laughs> right towards okay. Lucifer. Exactly. Exactly. Right. It's and it's like saying. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, and then and the last thing about it is that you know the the t the crown of the primordial triad is nine, which is like the all, and then things are the offshoot of the all. Yeah. And then the counter, you know, the the bottom of the other triad is the four or five separation. So it's like the the the, oh. the primal forces, the two forces are like this unity and separation. Mm. Yes. Mm. David, you had something about the line going vertical. That was good. The from 9 to the bottom because it's like okay, <clears throat> if, if up there is the sunshine and the space between 4 and 5 is the the black hole of nothing. The dark, yeah. Yeah, and I think we talked about this on the cosmic three-way pod where um I think John you'd said something like if if uh the 9 point represents seeing seeing all the you know at the sun you can see everything but the space between four and five represents the complete negation of everything mm -hmm. um and so there is something cool about there being like this vertical line between everything and then at the bottom nothing mm -hmm. right so there's a way that like that up to, that vertical piece um is in a way, existing outside of the other sets of reflections mm. in, in the sense that, so the line between uh, six and three is horizontal line. And to me, that represents symbolically the ease, an ease of crosstalk between those two. Like there's a constant, let's say, ping back and forth between six and three. And this gets reflected partly in this reflections idea in this simple mathematical way, which is, <clears throat> so three is reflecting up towards seven and eight. You add seven and eight, that's 15, but you add that down to single digit, that's six. So three equals six. And then on the other side, six is reflecting up to one and two. So six is three. So that ref that mm. Um, represents that sort of back and forth thing that's happening uh, between three and six um, versus this kind of up vertical uh, light dark thing that's happening. Mm -hmm. And the numbers nine, don't four, change. Five. Yeah, the numbers don't change. That's that the one. other thing too, is that then with nine, 
it it's it's another nine at five and four you see mm -hmm. whereas mm -hmm. the others totally. cross they form a like an x pattern totally yeah, yeah that's awesome it's interesting yeah you know uh tell me if i'm veering too far but something that has always kind of uh intrigued me in a certain way is the almost like the false point that's underneath nine that's like the crisscross of um eight to two and one to seven right oh right. oh and there's gonna be something there yeah <laughs> yeah and and so like you know and like like in kabbalah which i think the tree the kabbalah tree of life is of the same transmission or in the same vein of the mm -hmm. enneagram yep and you know the tree of life for people that don't you know that aren't uh that are normal um <laughs> it rep it's a it's a diagram of 10 spheres that represent this emanation from the unknowable source and the first the spheres are called sephiroth or sephiroth something like that and this is the heart of Jewish mysticism. And this first Sephiroth is called Keter. And it represents the transition point from the nothing to the something. And these spheres, the idea in Kabbalah is that your soul emanates from one of these spheres. And that if you know what sphere it is, you know God's plan for you. And that the tree, the, this constellation of ten spheres, represents the primordial image of humankind or like the primordial they call it adam kadmon like the original adam mm -hmm. and that we uh we're made in the image of god in the sense that we participate in these qualities of god and they're they're sometimes equated to like the divine names um or platonic forms and things like this and in this system there's different triads of these 10 spheres and from keter it emanates Hakma, which is like um kind of like uh, how do i how do i describe it? it's like the um, in the sense of like the mind of god or something it's like the blueprint of all that's going to come hmm. and then hmm. bin binah is like a particularization is the next one that comes binah is the particulars particularization of the wisdom of god or something like that like like Hakman is called wisdom anyway it's kind of like um, ex expansion and contraction. It's kind of like mm -hmm. one and eight in a certain way, these kind of primordial energies. And underneath, like, like you know, then it emanates down and there's like um, the heart and they, they represent different parts of the body too and stuff like this. Anyway, there's this sphere called dot or doth. And it's kind of like a, 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 an 11th hidden sphere. And one translation of dot means knowledge. And um, it's also seen as the external aspect of Keter, that unknowable source, kind of the nine um, out there. And like in this, I'm reading this book that I recommend to anybody really nerdy. It's called Hegel and the Hermetic Tradition, which is just like blowing my mind. Um, but it talks about Dot or Doth. And um, it says that, uh, let's see. According to Sholem, who's this Kabbalistic scholar, Dot is supposed to represent the external aspect of Keter, which is directly above, um, which Keter is directly above Dot on the Tree of Life. What could this mean? Keter, we have seen, is a will or a drive that is, that is constituted by the tension of the nothing and unity or in, in, indeterminacy and determinacy. Dot is sometimes referred to as the temporal presence, and Keter, which is above it, as the eternal now. I want to suggest that dot is time itself, conceived in opposition to Keter's eternal now, which is, of course, outside of time. Dot is called knowledge because it represents the contact point of the Kabbalist with the Sephiroth. Our knowledge of God and the cosmos is a unity of wisdom, Hakman, and understanding, Binah, a knowledge of wisdom through understanding. We know that the eternal is a sensuous way, and our knowledge is in time. Significantly, dot is also sometimes referred to as Holy Spirit. So, dot is kind of time. It's this entry point. And what's interesting is that this point between, uh, you know, where where the one one seven and eight two lines crisscross is on the hexad, and the hexad in particular represents mm -hmm. the law of seven, which represents time and mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. And so, there's something about it being underneath nine, the eternal now. 
that it's like it is like I think it represents time and the access point mm-hmm. where these eternal uh, ideas of God or these <clears throat> moments of God are able to express themselves within a process. And it's not it's like it's not that that four or five is time as the antithesis of unity. It's just the absence. And so it's like the, the tension between the unity and the nothing is time. Well, and that mm. recalls if this is uh, comes back to the sundial. The sundial is reflecting time, exactly. right? right? Yeah. And then the other thing too, you mentioned what was it expansion and what was the other? Uh, what's the opposite? Is it contraction? Contraction. So one one of the other riffs on this reflections idea is that three is take away nine right nine is everything gladly nothing right exactly <laughs> so let's get rid of um, wow. three so so three is reflecting towards seven and eight that's expansion those are the two biggest numbers if you mm-hmm. take away nine right and then six is the contraction it's mm. going back reflecting mm. back towards one and two the smallest numbers oh that's cool yeah hmm yeah, and in, in um in Egyptian mythology, the Ennead of Heliopolis, uh, you know, there's the androgynous Atum Ra, who represents nine, and he wakes up from the primordial void of Nun, which is, you know, the unmanifest transcendent nothing. And Where we get the word none, probably. <laughs> none, exactly, right. Oh. And uh he wakes up and he masturbates. And because I mean that's what nines do. Yeah, they just Every like, day. They're, they're cozy. They wake up. It's like, Beat and off. then uh, he produces. Th- th- he well, he's androgynous. He's a they them. Yeah, he's they, they them guy. produces shoe and his preferred pon- pronouns. Yeah. Preferred pronouns. Oh, um, and Tefnut, and they represent expansion and, and contraction. And actually, like um, Atlas, who holds up the the world is modeled on Shu and he's holding up the sky. So he's expansion and separate in, you know, like mm. the expansion of space and time. And Tefnut, she's an aspect of the goddess Sekhmet, but it's like contraction. And they represent like the whole, like the sense of space itself, right? Those mm-hmm. two together, they're twins mm. coupled. They represent the, um, you know, the, just those principles of contraction, expansion, not just in time, or not just in space, but also in time, like all, all those principles of thingness are represented by them. So that's pretty cool. One hmm. other riff, too, is, is just the uh, classic, uh, what, I don't know what you call it, axiom or whatever, as above, so below, right, is yeah. also in the fact that nine uh, with four and five equal nine right so as compared to those other ones where they change numbers right right yeah right so okay to to sort of like bring it home what is the hexagram triangle saying about humanity i think one thing that that um i think something you said john is that if you can say that 369 is a sort of like a circular it, it's all meant to sort of continue keep the ball rolling and um, everything feeds into each, into each other, but four, five, seven, eight, one, two represent ways that um, those types are taking super ego withdrawn and assertiveness and pushing away from this circular human mm-hmm. thing that's going on at three, six, nine. And so it's a, this counterforce where three, six, nine by itself would just be it would just be the circle that doesn't have any. It, it needs this counterforce to have, mm-hmm. like, to have these shifts because these types right. are, are kind of like Contra versus Sinflow. Actually, that's a really good concept to explain what's happening. It's like Contra, Sinflow recommend, uh, represents this sort of communal Sinflow, for those of you that don't understand, is like the, the stacking self press, social, social, sexual, and sexual self press. And this is David's concept that Sinflow, uh, those stackings have a communal flowing into each other there's a sense of cooperation that even with sexual self-pres that um with those stackings whereas the self-pres sexual sexual social and social self-pres stackings have a way that they're creating distance away from their dominant instinct 
And uh, so there's a, a contrast between those three grouping or those two groupings of stacking. And so you can you might explain this hexagram triangle uh, or the hexad types as forming the contraflow types mm -hmm. um, in the Enneagram. And yeah. the, to produce that sort of a hexad force, like you could have attachment types, but you need like a hexad in the mix to sort of change things up, to, to, to sort of like uh, go against the circle of uh, humanity. Right. Well, practically, who the fuck knows, but <laughs> in the more interesting way, like... So there's a there's a line I think in True Detective <laughs> where Rust I think says um death created time so it could grow the things it could kill and that always just stuck with me uh -huh. because this contraction versus expansion this um yeah this whole principle is like you know the inhale the exhale of time like, mm -hmm. I think something, I can't remember where this comes from, if it's Gurdjieff or somebody else or what, but it's that time is breath, hmm. right? And, like, especially within the Gurdjieffian stuff, like, the time has got a special, it's called the merciless hero pass. And it's this, like, degrading force that we have to work against, force of atrophy. And so, anyway, it's like, like a, a, a hermetic principle, and I'm, hyped up on this stuff because i've been studying it lately but it's sort of always there anyway is that human beings like in a sense complete god like that god has to come to know itself through the organs of human consciousness mm -hmm. right and mm -hmm. that you need something like a separation to like like when we're identified with something in terms of just like inner work we need to separate from it. Like we need to know our enneagram types so that we can see their type in action. So we don't just be the type that we are seeing it and present with it and knowing it. And that's the only way we can know it is by distinguishing something. So this like this like counter force, this negative force in a sense. It's like in 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 the in the Gurdjieff where we say like the holy um, holy negative force, right? Like the holy negation force like we it's it's given this sense of being holy because the negative force no matter what it is in our direct experience like right now there's a there's a presence of the negative force that is what gives us the separation that allows us to come into the reconciling force the reconstituting force and that all like like greek hermetic egyptian ideas were this this sense that some kind of separation is necessary because the coming back and back together uh, produces a new something. And like, um, I have this tattoo that I tattooed on myself that comes from I I kind of hate Aleister Crowley, but I he he wrote the book he channeled the Book of the Law, and I just like this line has always just stuck with me, which is, "I am divided for love's sake, for the chance of union." You know, it's the same principle mm -hmm. of this division that leads to a unity instead of a formless fog or something like that. Is it making sense? Yeah. All right. So yeah. let's, let's, well, did you have something? No. Okay. I was just going to say, just let's humanize this a little bit for people who've been completely lost. Uh, Nancy and Alexandra, uh, <laughs> like talk <me. laughs> about your ex impressions of the, the other, the, you know, the opposite hexat zone. Uh, Alexandra's a nine, talk about five, you know, four, five, now that you're with the four, five. And Nancy, mm -hmm. I, I want to hear your impression of uh, assertive types like seven and eight or that talk space. how good it is. <laughs> yeah, what's your impression <laughs> as a three of, that, of the opposite energy? Nancy, um, you good? Do I start? No, I don't want to. <laughs> Making me look um, bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just kind of a, a, a large question. Well, what's your impression of sevens and eights? You know, you don't have to, it doesn't need to get to conceptual, just in general, like as a three, okay, okay. as an assertive type, like what, how do you, ex, uh, what's your, what's your experience of the assertiveness of seven and eight and how does that feel similar and oppositional to the way that you operate as an assertive type? I got lost in John's. <laughs> Everybody's lost in the John's. Sauce. <laughs> yeah, lost in the sauce of John's. 
Is your question, Emika, like just how do I just to get relate to four not, and five? Just your impression of the opposite nature of that space of, of four the dyad five. Of four or five yeah. versus nine. Just trying to get mm-hmm. this thing big, bring this down to earth, get some humans talking about, you know, relatable shit to, to wrap sure. this episode up. Emika's <laughs> <laughs> like, make this stop. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm just realizing like, holy shit, like nobody's going to follow this at all. <laughs> I mean, I'm barely following it. <laughs> um, well, I mean, there's something to be said about the fact that it is these like sort of long triangles that people usually mistype themselves as. Yeah. Mm, mm-hmm. Like nines are always mistyping themselves as fives or as fours. That's and interesting. One of them. Mm-hmm. And we do see like sixes, you know, they're, you know, usually going for <laughs> um, fours and whatever else, but they still mistype a lot as one and two. Mm-hmm. And three definitely confuses itself for eight and seven. Yep. Um, so I have always kind of seen... You know, as somebody that mistyped as a five in the beginning, um, I always saw myself in the, I mean, obviously in the withdrawn sense, but in the like really unavailable um, sense of five, or at least like what I understood five to be at the time. Um, I related to being unavailable, to not wanting anything to do with anything or anyone. Um, So there's some four that comes in with that too. Um, And so I kind of, this is maybe separate but related, but I also have like a five wing on my six fix and a four wing on my three fix. So I have all the withdrawn mm-hmm. types and I've kind of seen it as, as like I kind of in a light, distant way, I am familiar with that bottom space. I am familiar with like the pit of existence and humanity. Um, but being a nine, it's just kind of like, there's nothing I can do about it anyway, so let's just let's just deal with it. You know, like, let's just kind of float along with it. What are you going to do? I think a lot of nines, despite being a positive outlook type, can have the same sort of futility and hopelessness that can exist in four and five. Mm. It obviously sure. doesn't, it doesn't own it as much. Right, right. Um, because it prefers to be in a diffused state, and obviously, like it is holding the rest of the the enneagram. Um, but I don't know. That's been my relationship to to four and five. Like not just the obvious things of being withdrawn, but I actually do think that nine has a way of carrying all the pain and all the suffering and all the like misery of the world and being able to be detached, but participating at the same time. Hmm. I mean, nine is definitely separating in its own fashion. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And even just being with a four, with a five wing. So John's in that space where like we make up that little triangle ourselves. Um, There are obvious overlaps with the both of us. Hmm. Like there's an obvious impulse to pull away from things to feel like our energy is being stolen from us or taken from us without will it's obviously going to be more um i don't know i'm going to be more sensitive to it because i'm a nine and because i have social so i just have more antennas out for that but there still is that kind of recoil that i have that is very obvious in four and five it's just way more subtle for me that making any you know, sense? Yeah, that's great. That was that's... Some, some, something coming to me about this because, like, 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 what can we like practically use in a certain way? And it's yeah, like, I, I'm, it's kind of faint right now, but it's sort of like we're both separating, mm-hmm. right? But Alexandra needs to separate, um, like, so as a four with a five, I actually. I actually need to get into that universal space more, mm-hmm. you know, and, and mm-hmm. ma- maybe mm-hmm. it's not anti-separation, but there's something there that like counters that counters that, like, I'm trying to push off from things. Cause like mm-hmm. when I separate, it's, it's, it's like a default of just actually just being disconnected and then needing to go by myself. Mm-hmm. Whereas Alexander's separation, there's still, a, still like a, a channel to the everything. Yeah. Yeah, I, I separate because there's nothing left. There's no, like, space left to absorb, so I have to. 
or else mm. I'm just, you know, it's like the sponge is totally full. So I have to go because there's, I'm useless now. I'm completely full. There's nothing else anyone can do with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. There's something, there's something in there. I like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of not quite getting it, but there's something about how our separation can be almost, um, yeah. Like, I mean the, the sponge thing, like part of it is that nines have a hard time holding on to their individuality. So they start absorbing from the outside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think then, there's something energetic in this also, in that like four and five ma- like maintains its energetic separation. Right. Yes. Whereas yes. nine like secretly is separating, but the energy is still remains very open. So yes. what I can take from the four five space is energetically separating mm-hmm. also, in order to like keep my participation actually, or like lengthen it or preserve it mm-hmm. or whatever. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah my my experience of three. Uh, just I've been jazzed up on like some three documentaries, just seeing like oh this magic of an assertive type who's tapped into the the heart of the collective, and mm-hmm. they're just to see the style of attachment where the three is pushing out and has a singular identity, but the singular identity is tapping into something that the collective uh, is channeling an identity the collective can attach to, and. Um, you know, the eight thing is sort of like, well, I'm going to reality distort and create the thing that I want. And it's very egoic and it's very, you know, forceful. I'm going to make reality into what I want it to be. And the three is like, I'm going to push out there, but what I'm doing is in conversation with some deep identity that everyone mm. can, um, can tap into. And so I want, yeah, it just feels very collective. It feels very tapped into you know, what it means to be human, um, versus seven and, you know, seven and eight, which is, you know, very seemingly narcissistic, uh, like egoic types that uh, I get what I want. It doesn't matter <laughs> what's going on. I'm going to try to get what I want. Uh, so I just wonder what the three perspective on the, Nancy, you got anything? Well, so a couple things that Alexandra said spurred my brain and then they left. Um, but I think some of the threes definitely mistype as sevens a lot. And I have been told by many people that they think I'm a seven or an eight. Mm -hmm. Um, oddly enough, uh, when I'm angry, a lot of people think I'm an eight, (laughs) which I'm like, (laughs) eights aren't just anger, but interesting take. (laughs) Um, so I think we share a lot of that, um, forward momentum kind of energy but i often feel like sevens are too flippant with it Mm -hmm. um and that eights aren't flippant enough what does that mean it means like they don't have enough fun with it so it feels like i am the point of the triangle where like that kind of combines Mm. um like that kind of freedom of the seven to have a little bit of fun um and that energy of the eight to kind of drive through kind of combines into threeness a little bit Mm, yeah but i definitely experience it differently than like i I think a three wing two would um because i think i have a lot of like pessimism from that four wing right kind of keeps me from like relating to that seven space yeah um no, that's interesting. I'll say though. something that I see with three versus seven and eight is that I actually, and maybe I'm biased or something, but actually threes are probably more effective with their assertive energy because they are working with the mm-hmm. obstacles yes. versus yeah. just trying mm-hmm. to like plow mm-hmm. through them. Like Older, they spend a lot yeah. less time actually being in resistance to something because they're able to work with their obstacles. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. But I will say, I think it's important to sit in that space of feeling the resistance because uh, there have been like a lot of instances in my life where I like look back and think that I probably could have sat in that space longer to process what happened. Hmm. I, yeah. uh, if that makes sense. So like we're so I feel like that assertive energy can kind of blow you past a lot of. The different parts of life and i guess that's where like three's emotions coming out of bad times is probably <laughs> probably something that happens 
Yeah, that's that's all really interesting stuff. Um, I think people are going to be wanting more stuff on specific type wings, and we can get to that to, in the mm-hmm. next episodes. But like, we just had to. We're going even more abstract next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just have to get this abstract <laughs> fucking riff out of the system just so we can move on to the more wings. I'll but have yeah. even left less to say then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking at the Enneagram again, and there's just like so much that keeps popping out. Like, so four and five also being on the bottom, these are the only two that don't have their lines going in like a wide. Mm, um, yeah. They're not, yeah. you know, they're, they're both like stuck on their own side. Right. Like four the- only goes to super ego types and they're on the right side. Um, five only goes to <clears throat> assertive types and they're on the left side. There's yeah. something there. And then like one and eight only go to their own object relation types. Like one yeah. stays frustrated right. either way and eight stays rejecting. <laughs> there's like, I don't know, there's something there. Like something two there, yeah. goes to reactive, oh, yeah. only to reactive types and seven only goes to competency types. Well, and you could say all the gut types, if you drew a triangle out of them, because there's not naturally, besides nine, right? There's with eight mm-hmm. and one, they all make e- equilateral triangles. Mm-hmm. And that's <clears throat> like a really, that's the most firm, uh, immovable triangle, right? Yeah. So yeah. that explains something about gut energy and its immovability mm, and its mm-hmm, stubbornness mm-hmm. yeah and i've got an article speaking to what you're talking about alexandra on my side about just the narrowness of the four and five points you know those are the two sharpest uh angles and mm-hmm. they take up the least space if you made a yeah. triangle out of each of them and that's of course symbolic of their Again, their separation and trying to wedge and, yourselves out of existence. Yeah, <laughs> and and the distilling quality of them, you know, they're yeah, sharpening, totally. tapering into more and more specificity. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that brings me, but even back to something else that I relate to about four and five is like again, I know that I have four and five as like part of my overlay, but even that specificity is something that like I actually do relate to when I can find it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think yes. it's just a one wing thing. Right. Um, right. They're actually like, I don't, I don't know. It's almost like because I'm taking in everything all the time that I can get like, it's like one small thing can set off a trail of other things. But like, I, I don't know, I'm losing my train of thought, but there is something about like the narrowness and the specificity of mm-hmm. four and five that I've always like, that I've always been able to access and pick up on despite also being super open and diffused as a nine. Here's another thing if talking about angles and in the abstract world. If you look at two and seven, those are the most wide open angles. Mm, Yeah. Right. Mm. And that represents sort of the bigness of personality that they represent. They both have wide open mouths. Like (laughs) yes. Yeah. Seven <laughs> wants to taste everything and then looks like two legs wants to, to me. kiss you and yeah i was gonna say it's and... wide open legs those look like wide open legs yeah. <laughs> please make love to me please dear god make love to me it's an x pattern right there where we're, we're at the center you know what that means <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> triple happy <X>. pride month <laughs> <laughs> anyway we've been going for an hour all right. Yeah. Anybody, anything else? We, we, we left it on fucking. <laughs> yes. The most important. We started thing. it, sort of started it on fucking, and we left it on fucking. Yes, we did. Yeah, we started it with Josh pegging, pegging. me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even this whole thing of the, the two triangles, the, the hexagram, time and form and space and, you know, emptiness and form, it's, it's all sex. Yeah, it is. it's all it's sex. sex. It's Everything all sex. Inter- interpenetration. <laughs> interpenetration. Uh, the helix. What did you say, Nancy? Oh, I said, how did the Big Bang happen? Banging. There you go. <laughs> All sex. That's it. The really Big Bang. You get it? You get it? Do, do you get it? Do, do you want me to explain it to you? All right. I'm, I'm socialed out, so. Yeah. All right. Talk to y'all later. Yeah. See y'all later. This Bye. should be a fun one. See who yeah. follows it. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.